You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havlock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, we've got all the latest news from the IR Magazine Awards US 2016 and this year's Investor Perception Study, as well as EY on pre and post IPO IR. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast. It's a weekly roundup of the top news and headlines from around the world of investor relations. We're back in the Ticker Podcast studio and with company. There's Tim Human, Garnet Roach, and Condice de Montpetit. Hello. 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 Good morning. And uh, first up, a dangerous website scam that almost took one of the world's largest airline operators by surprise. Yes, fraudsters intended to steal millions of dollars by creating a fake fundraising website for Etihad Airways, the UAE airline, ahead of a also fabricated IPO. The fake site, which was hosted at the not-so-suspicious ea-ipo.com, advertised the initial offering as happening between the 11th and 15th of April on the LSE, with shares starting at a paltry £5.60. The fraudsters went even further to say they're projecting uh, raising £2 billion for the company for the purchase of six aircraft, it's very specific, which would enter the Etihad fleet in 2018. But it wasn't to be. It didn't take long for business leaders in Abu Dhabi to cotton onto the fake website, and Etihad issued a statement last week saying it had no plans for an IPO, and any announcement linking it to one should be reported to the authorities. Uh, the airline firm also said it had filed a suit against Gerard and Altman, who are a so-called clone firm already known to the FCA, through which the fake shares are offered. Action Fraud, the UK's National Fraud and Cybercrime Reporting Centre, is on the case, and has heard any members of the public contacted by Gerard and Altman to get in touch with the authorities. Abacontes, you showed us this initially. Were you convinced by the website? It looked like a pretty good uh, replication. It, it looked pretty legit to me, and you know, if I ever had any money to invest, I, I'm sure I would have been very easily scammed. <laughs> Sadly, though, we're not living the, the kind of high-flying life of, of investors who can pop a couple of million into Etihad. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet, crucially. Well, you know, when IR Media Group goes public, we're, we're all going to cash in on those uh, stock options we've been promised. <laughs> yeah, I had never thought of that. But, Condi, I'm going to stay with you and on to a, a happier topic, I think. And it's a celebration of good IR rather than, you know, dodgy website construction. Um, and the best IR predictions in the US have been revealed as of last night. Is that right? Yes, the 21st US Awards took place yesterday evening at Cipriani's in New York. So um, there was a bit of a suspense in the air as attendees were waiting to know who would be filling Covidian's shoes as a top winner. And the winner is... General Electric, who took uh, the pole position in the rankings and won this year's Grand Prix and the Best in Sector Industrials Award. Uh, but, well, I have to say that G isn't exactly a newcomer on our list. The Mega Cap won the Grand Prix in 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2008, and that was um, before Covidian's five-year reign. Well, nonetheless, well done, General Electric and the IR team there. Um, who were the runners-up as well? Who were the other, the almost runs? Well, there are also awards regulars, uh, JP Morgan and uh, Honeywell, which came in second and third, respectively. The bank snatches up the prize for Best Financial Reporting and Best in Sector Financials, and Honeywell places second in the Best Corporate Governance and Best in Sector Industrials categories. Well done to all of them too. Uh, the awards, they were a bit different this year. There's been a bit of an overhaul about which categories have been given out. What, what other awards were actually given out this year? Yes, indeed, there are a few awards uh, less this year, um, but uh, the Grand Prix were uh, unchanged, though, with Citizens Financial Group claiming the award for mid-caps and uh, Right Medical for small caps. I think they won last year. And the year before, no? I think. Oh, yeah, they've won a couple of years, I'm sure. The prize for best IR during a corporate transaction went to Broadcom for its communications around the merger with uh, Avago Technologies last February. And Nasdaq-listed pizza delivery chain Papa Murphy's won the award for best growth company IR. 
Another company to watch out for is uh, Cement Materials, a cement and asphalt producer, which won the award for Best IR for an IPO. Congratulations to those awards winners as well. I feel like I'm just going to be saying a lot of congratulations uh, in, this, in this story. And how did the, the overseas companies do this year? Because there are a couple of awards for them too, aren't there? Yes, it was the UK pharmaceuticals major um, AstraZeneca that won the award for Best IR by a non-American company, uh, with BP placing second. And in terms of the, the overall rankings for companies, who are this year's movers and shakers? We've seen a few companies skyrocket through the rankings. Uh, Salesforce.com, winner of best use of technology and social media, jumped from the 39th place to the 5th. Anadarko Petroleum uh, moves up from 111th to 9th. And a special mention for Hilton um, Hotels, which enters the top 20 at joint 12th after moving up 132 spots. So quite impressive. That's a big leap. It's interesting to see Salesforce on there. I'm talking to their um, head of IR, Andrew Zilli, about that website, uh, which I think has probably helped them win that technology and social media award. It's really beautiful, number one, but also they have all the social media stuff included in probably the best way possible. You can just click on it and it pops out in their website. It doesn't take you away. You don't have to go and follow their Twitter account. So it's nice to hear they won. I'm glad one of my interviewees has picked that up. Well done, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll move on from the awards now because, Tim, you're going to come back to that later on, I think. But we're going to move on to Garnet instead, who has been finding out a bit more about a EY report from last Last year. Is that right? Yes. Um, well, we've been talking to Martin Steinbach, um, Executive Director at EY and all-round IPO expert, um, about some of the key findings from the Taking It to Heart report. And like I say, I think this is a report we looked at a little while before, didn't we, on the Ticker podcast. Remind us exactly what it's about. Well, the study explores how investor relations is organised in companies both pre- and post-IPO, and it really is full of a lot of interesting in- findings and insights. I had a look through it a while back and wrote a couple of news stories from it and it is it is very interesting if I say so myself and while we have looked at this briefly before um, we caught up with Martin to see what he had to say about the findings so first up I asked him why companies should consider adding an IR function before they go public for a company getting ready for an IPO it will be critical to set up an effective IR function this is due to the fact that IR is an important link between the company and the stakeholders of a listing its shareholders, potential investors, relevant regulators, employees, and the broader public. Being regulatory compliant, keeping a one-voice policy, and active investor relations and targeting are key goals for most IR departments. Often, IR is a new discipline in the company, which brings the setup of an effective internal organization of the IR department to the heart of the internal preparation of an IPO. He also highlights some of the key takeaways for IROs, um, particularly around an IRO professional's access to the board. The globalization of capital markets with even more active shareholders increases the importance of investor relations function and the connectivity to the board and the whole organization. An effective organization is a precondition and key success factor for any IR officer relying on input for disclosures, guidance and equity story from other departments especially from the accounting and forecasting department. Strategically, IR has a seat at the top table in a two-way communication, giving valuable feedback from the street to the board and vice versa, being close to the agenda of the C-suite, retelling the market and always refreshed equity story. And continuing with the theme of connectivity, um, Martin also talks about the way that communication between IR and other departments, and not just the C-suite, can improve the investor relations role. An effective IR function relies on clear process and structures, governing which information will be provided and how individual units should act together, 
through to a formal disclosure. Interdepartmental connectivity is vital to the success of the IR function. And uh, finally, I asked Martin to highlight what he thought were some of the most striking findings from the report. The report reveals international best practices and sets the benchmark to better prepare or improve the IR function internally. Key goals for the IR function will include keeping existing shareholders satisfied by providing the right information on a timely basis and attracting new investors in order to ensure that the company's shares are fairly valued. And these goals must be achieved while maintaining regulatory compliance in the capital markets. And that link is especially important in challenging global capital markets. So it is no surprise that effective organization of the financial communication with investors is a top 10 priority for management teams and boards across the globe. Uh, that's some interesting insight there from, from Martin and from EY. Um, can IROs get the, the full report somewhere as well? They can. Um, the report, which came out of a study conducted at EY by IR Insights, which is our research and intelligence unit, is uh, free to download from the EY website. And there's also um, links to the report in a couple of news stories on our website as well, both of which look at the different ways that relationships affect and benefit IR. So the, the, the full report is actually 20 pages long and it covers everything from you know, how IROs define success to what exactly the IR role is in different companies and how important IR seat at the table really is. Yes, it makes for good reading, particularly as it's free. So you can, you can get hold of your copy very easily indeed. But we're going to move on to another bit of excellent research and that is also free, at least to um, IR Magazine professional subscribers. Tim, you have taken a good look at the Investor Perception Study for US 2016. Yes, the, the Investor Perception Study is, is the research behind our US awards, which took place yesterday. In it, along, alongside the, the surveys to find out who's good at IR in different areas, we also conducted more than 100 telephone interviews with the buy side and sell side, in which we asked broader questions about IR practice and the capital markets. One question looked at the impact of macroeconomic issues, for example. Uh, there wasn't a lot of difference here between the views of the buy and sell side. Both said that their number one concern at the moment is interest rates. One of the buy-side respondents said, quote, My main concern is the US Federal Reserve's interest rate policy vagueness, highlighting the uncertainty being felt over interest rates, uh, especially in the US at the moment. The next biggest concerns for investors and analysts in terms of macro issues are growth rates, uh, then commodity prices, uh, and then China. When answering this question in the survey, respondents could tick a single issue or a box at the bottom saying all of the above, um, and around 15% tick the all of the above option which uh, highlights the mix of different risks uh, at play at the moment in the minds of investors and analysts. And what did respondents think about how companies should communicate uh, these macroeconomic issues and how they're responding to them? Digging specifically, as you say, into communications around this issue, uh, we asked a survey group uh, a further question. Would you like companies to tell you how they think these macro issues will affect them? Or would you prefer to make your own judgments? Again, there was little difference between the views of the buy-side and sell-side respondents. A big majority of both groups said they would like companies to tell them what they think about macroeconomic issues. Uh, summing up the majority view, one member of the sell-side said, quote, It's always helpful to hear what companies are thinking, because it's not always apparent how something can ripple through, like movement in currency exchange rates and commodity prices. Personally, I think it's hard to understand why investors and analysts wouldn't want the company view on macro issues. Uh, surely it's always useful to get additional perspectives. But apparently not, because uh, 14% of the buy side uh, and 16% of the sell side said they are not interested in what companies think about the macro situation. But there are any areas, Tim, where the buy and sell side have different views on an issue and they disagreed? They had quite different views on the question of whether companies were sacrificing long-term growth uh, to do buybacks. This is another area we asked them in the uh, investor perception study. 
essentially, investors are more worried about this than sell-side analysts. Uh, 41% of investors said there is a problem with too many buybacks, compared to only 25% of sell-side analysts. Of course, this issue is specific to each company's uh, individual situation. Uh, and the comments uh, from the investors and analysts were very interesting here. Uh, one buy-sider said even in the energy sector, where, where cash is very tight at the moment, there have been buybacks. Uh, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Another, taking the, uh, the opposite position, called attacks on buybacks political bashing and said they are good for shareholder value. So, so some clearly feel that buybacks are being given a bad name unfairly. Uh, one piece of advice we hear from IR people a lot is the important thing with buybacks and dividends is to make sure the uh, investment community understands your broad approach to capital distribution. And this was summed up by a comment from one sell-side analyst who said uh, in response to the buybacks question, quote, it depends on how well a company has outlined its strategy. Uh, different companies are at different stages of growth. I guess it stands to reason that, you know, a company that can uh, legitimise a buyback strategy, you know, that's that's when it's it's something that you can it's easy to accept, right? But if it's a kind of plucked out of nowhere, presumably that's when alarm bells might start ringing. Yes, if they put a framework in place and people are expecting it, then uh, it normally doesn't matter too much. It, it's when it's a surprise that it's a big problem. Well, Tim, I'm surprised uh, not to see uh, foreign exchange rates on on that uh, list of macro factors because um, it was the the main issue for a lot of the ROs I spoke to um, when I, I was re- researching my article on uh, communicating about uh, macro factors. Mm, no, that's an interesting point. Um, I think currency was on there in terms of what people picked out as one of the options. And they were asked what their biggest concern was and and so they could only pick one thing and so um, I think about five percent of people picked currency I mean another differing factor might be that this was just a, a survey of US investors and analysts where I guess you were you were speaking to more of a global spread of people uh, yes but a lot of the the US companies are, are um, in trouble because of the strong dollar so um, again uh, a lot of them have been adding a slide on currency effects uh, in their quarterlies well that's what they told me you can find out more about Condice's feature, obviously, in our summer edition, which uh, should be hitting the shelf sometime in summer. And, of course, you can find out a lot more about the uh, the opinions of investors and analysts on both the buy and sell side in the Investor Perception Study US 2016, which is now available. You can find it on our website. It'll be on the front page, which is iamagazine.com. You can also point your browser to iamagazine.com forward slash US 2016, where you can find out more information about it, as well as a full list of the winners from the award ceremony last night at the Cipriani as Condi's described for us earlier. But that is about all we've got time for on the ticker this week. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for coming along and sharing our stories this week. Thank you, Larry. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app. 